I did um, some significant wrestling this week with this sermon. I was initially very excited to be preaching on Galatians and our status as adopted children of God. I would love to have told you stories of adoption and how this is an image of our relationship with Christ and how cute my adopted three or two-year-old son is, and, but I just, I can't. I think we need to talk about the issues this week that are before us. And so I started asking the question, Lord, how does our status as adopted children of God, how does that impact how we understand the violence that we are witnessing in our country How does it help us to understand the deaths of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile? The deaths of the five police officers dead in Dallas, Brent Thompson, Patrick Zamarapa, Michael Kroll, Lauren Arhens, and Michael Smith? How does our status as adopted children help us to sort out the fear and confusion in our hearts. How can our status as adoptive children of God shed gospel light in a dark world? And it turns out it has a lot to say about these things. And our sermon series in Galatians has dialed up for us this reading from Galatians chapter 4, how we have been adopted as children of God, and it shines light on the things that we have witnessed this past week, and, and frankly, for far too long. And so I think this passage is going to show us three things in, in light of the tragic events of the week. Um, and, and it's this. The first one is going to show us um, the enslavement of a world that is separated from God. The enslavement of a world that does not fully realize the, its, um, its status, not that it has that status, but, but, but the world that does not know what it means to be an adopted child of God. And the second thing we're going to talk about and look at is, is how does our identity as sons and daughters of God um, affect things? What does that look like? Who are we in this dark world? And then finally, what are the implications of this on our lives? I like it when you follow along in your Bibles. So if you've got one, now's the time to pull it out. It can be a, a, a book Bible. It can be a phone Bible. It can be a tablet Bible. Um, I think Charlie's going to try to get verses up on the screen as we go along. But, but this does a couple of things. Um, one, I think it helps you follow sort of the flow of the sermon. But the second thing is um, it shows you that I'm not making this up. Okay. <laughs> This isn't me speaking to you. This is God speaking, God willing, and prayerfully through me to you. And if I'm saying things that aren't there, then I want you to be able to see that, and I want you to be able to tell me about it. Not during the sermon. Okay? We can talk tomorrow. But I, this is important, okay? This is important that you realize that, that, that we're trying to take God's word and show you the implications of it for your lives. So... Let us begin. Um, the first observation is we're going to see that this is a world that is enslaved and separated from God. We're in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start with verses 1 to 3. Um, where, 
we're living in a world that is enslaved and separated from God. Let's not forget, right, the point um, that Paul is trying to make in Galatians. And his main concern for the Galatian church is this. He is worried that the Galatians are exchanging the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ for a life that is based on works. For a life that is rooted in their ability to follow the rules of the Jewish law. Now remember, okay, these are mostly not Jewish Christians. They're mostly Gentile Christians, okay? So before they came to know Jesus, they were pagans. They were worshiping the emperor of the Roman Empire. They were worshiping the Roman gods and goddesses. They were um, ethically just completely rooted and centered in what was happening in the Jewish world around them. And frankly, it was probably much more eye-opening than even our culture today. And they found Jesus. They experienced the Holy Spirit, Paul says. And they were living lives as Christians. And now they're being persuaded by folks who've come in and said, well, Jesus is good, but you also have to be Jewish. You also have to follow the law, the ceremonies, the rituals, the civil law of the Jews to actually know salvation. And Paul is saying, no. He's saying in this passage, when you return, when you go to that, you're enslaving yourself. Just like before, you were enslaved to different rules and different regulations, the rules and regulations of, of the world. You're enslaving yourself now to other rules and regulations. It's not necessarily that these rules are bad ones. It's just the simple fact that you cannot keep them. You are too sinful, too broken, too separated from God to do these things. Salvation is not through works, whether it's works of the law or works of the flesh. Salvation is through the work and only the work of Jesus Christ, dead, resurrected, and buried. That's what is happening to the Galatian church. So let's read Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. He's talking about who are the true children of God. Is it the children of Abraham following the Mosaic law, or is it somebody else? Um, Galatians 4, 1 to 3. He's talking about the heir. The heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul's using this image of a child awaiting his inheritance, right? And he's saying, look, when the child is young, okay, even though he might be the heir to the entire estate, when he is young, he is no different than the servant, He is subject to the rules of the house. He's subject to the guardians. He's subject to the overseers. The child, the heir, though he might eventually own everything when he is a child, is no different than the slave. He's no different than the slave. And he's warning them, if you return to status as children, you will be enslaved. 
If you give up your inheritance in Christ and return to your former status, you will be no different than a slave, no matter what your last name is or what laws you're following. Do you see that? And so Paul is warning them, the child can only become the heir through the generosity of the father. Otherwise, the child will remain a child, and he will remain enslaved to what? It's something Paul calls the elementary principles of the world. And, and for the Jews, the elementary principles would be the law. For the um, Gentiles, the elementary principles would be um, the ways and rules of the world that they grew up in. And he's saying it does not matter who you are. You can return to this one or you can return to this one, but they will make you slaves. Okay? They will make you slaves. Why is that? Because even the good rules, Right? We use to justify ourselves. Our sinful natures take even the best rules. Now, not talk about the, the, the ways of the world that are just purely evil, and there's those too, but even the best rules, we're at the, at the very best, we're going to justify ourselves. And so you look at the passage that we had in our gospel this morning, right? The Good Samaritan who says, Who is my neighbor? Right? He got the rules love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I'm going to justify myself. Jesus, who's my neighbor? I'll show you that, that I'm doing good to people that I like. And Jesus expands that and he says, everyone is your neighbor. He, he's taking the law and he's using it to justify things he's already doing. And because of that, he is a slave. And the world, and we, we do the same things, okay? How many hundreds of years... Was this Bible used to justify slavery? How many hundreds of years were the very scriptures that we're reading in church this morning used to justify slavery? Now that is wrong, and, and praise God that the Holy Spirit has worked in the hearts and minds of Christian leaders to, to show us that the Bible actually condemns slavery. But, but you see that little twist that we're doing when we're following the law and not the Spirit. Or just rationally speaking, how many of us think, you know, it really would be nice if we could get revenge, if we could repay people who wronged us and hurt us, sometimes violently, right? You, that might feel good, you know, at least on a small level. These are elementary principles. And without Christ, we are slaves to them. And so that's, friends, is what we're seeing when we read the news, when we hear of this violence and injustice, when we see weeping families and scared citizens plastered across our TV screens. We're seeing a world that is committed to the elementary principles, a world that says, look, some of the members of this society are better than others. It's a world that says, um, that, that allows somehow racial injustice this systematically embedded in a seemingly enlightened culture. This is a world that says violence is the solution to our problems. And this is a world that says war and death are necessary ways of life. And if you look closely, everyone is asking the question, how do we make it stop? What can we do? And they feel so helpless because we are enslaved to these things. And when you 
are enslaved to something, hope dies quickly. So in light of this reality, that we have a world that is committed to its own elementary principles, it is essential for us, friends, it is essential for us as a church to know who we are. We are no longer a people enslaved to the ways of this world. We are no longer children beholden to guardians and managers. Rather, we're sons and daughters of God. Read on in Galatians 4. Let's go to uh, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Paul's not being sexist, by the way. He's not, he's not just focusing saying, hey, guys, look, y'all get to be adopted as sons. This, this is very technical, okay? To be adopted as a son in Paul's world meant to inherit all the rights and all the promises of the Father. Women in Paul's world were not able to do that. And so he's looking at a group, and he's writing this letter to a group of men and women, and he's saying, collectively, all of you, male and female, slave and free, when you know Jesus Christ, you will be adopted as sons. Full status. That is the promise. And that's who we are. This is the bottom line, good news of the gospel. That God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to live under the same elementary principles that we are enslaved to, okay? He didn't come into some magical time in the world where people weren't doing the very same things that they're doing right now. He came into this world, he lived under the elementary principles. He lived under the burden of the law. He lived as a member of a racially persecuted people. He gave his life over to the hands of violent men. And he did this all for the purpose of freeing them from the very things that they were subjecting him to. Do you see that? He came under the burden that we are enslaved to so that we might be free from it. The beautiful perfect, holy Son of God gave himself over to the elementary principles of this world. And when God looked on his only Son, persecuted, beaten, murdered, and buried, when God looked on Jesus in the tomb, he raised him from the dead. He said, this is my beloved son. This is the only one who could live a holy and righteous life. And anyone who would have faith in that Jesus will be adopted as sons as well. Freed from the chains that enslaved them. And adopted as sons and daughters of God. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ, that is who you are. That is your status 
before God. And that is radically different. Living under that identity as a child of God is radically different than living as slaves to the elementary principles of this world. What does it mean and how does it apply? Well, I will use one adoption illustration. I didn't ask my wife. I hope it's okay. Um, uh, Benjamin is a, so so sweet and dear, and um, there's some things that he's that have changed because of his identity. And I could list a long list of them, but but very specific behaviors have changed because he's no longer an orphan, but he's part of a family who loves him. And, and one of the things that we really noticed when he first came to us is. Um, we would give him Cheerios, okay, just little Cheerios um, to keep him occupied. And he, would, um, he, would want, he wouldn't eat them. He would take them all and put them in his hands. So if you had five Cheerios, he wanted all five in his hands. And all of our other children, they, you know, we'd offer him Cheerios, and they'd take one, and they'd eat it. And they'd take one, and they'd eat it. But, but he did not know that those Cheerios were still going to be in his mom's hands even after he ate one. As far as he knew, they were going to be gone. And so he got as many as he could. And that was actually a really sad thing for us to see. But over time, and through the love of a family that would say, these are yours because you're my son, he's realized that he doesn't have to hoard all the Cheerios. There's always abundant Cheerios in our house. They're all over the floor, and they're in the car seat. (laughs) But his status, going from an orphan, to a son has changed his very core, has changed how he interacts with the world around him. And so does ours. There are two implications of our adoption that Paul mentions here in Galatians. The first one is this. The Spirit of God dwells within us. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As adopted children of God, we have received the spirit of God in our hearts. This specifically says the spirit of his son. Okay, another way of referring to the Holy Spirit, but it gives some edge to it. This is the spirit of Jesus dwelling within us so that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father, this isn't like this, um, this scared, fearful, God, save me. This is, this is the intimate cry of a son to his father. Daddy. That, that is our status. That's how we relate to God now. We, we don't relate to him as fe- out of fear and uncertainty, but out of love, the unconditional love that we've received as sons and daughters. And because we've been adopted as sons, and because we've been given the spirit of the Son of God, we have been freed from the elementary principles that govern this world. We are freed to relate to the world. Now listen, this is important. We are freed to, free to relate to each other, okay? Our relationships with each other and our relationships to the world around us, we can actually relate to each other and the world in the same way that God as related to us. Do you see? That Jesus related to us. He, he gave his life for us. 
And His Spirit lives in us. And now we have the opportunity to share that same mercy with each other in the world around us. We're, we can't be the Savior. We're not Jesus. But we have the Spirit of Him inside us. This is our calling as adopted sons and daughters. So Jesus offered us what? Grace. He offered us mercy. He offered us empathy, right? He came under the law just as we were under the law. And so when we're confronted with the elementary principles of this world, we actually have um, the Spirit of God to show us how we engage them. And so when we're confronted with racial injustice, we can realize that it's actually okay to acknowledge that this is still a problem in our society. We can listen to the voices of our African-American brothers and sisters. And we don't have to be threatened by that because our identity is not tied to this world. Our identity is tied to God. Our identity is tied and mingled with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we don't have to be threatened. And we can seek to empathize and try to understand why so many African-American parents are afraid for the lives of their children. I have not experienced that. I cannot imagine, but I can try to understand. This doesn't mean that all police and all white people are racist. But it does acknowledge that this world, and frankly, especially this country remains enslaved to ungodly principles. And it will give us as a church an opportunity to shine light in the darkness. When we're confronted with violence, our status as children of God recognizes that it's okay to respond to violence with nonviolence. It allows us to recognize how incredibly difficult it must be to be a law enforcement officer in a society that is so ingrained with violence. Again, I cannot imagine what that is like. But I can pray and seek to understand. Our status as children of God will allow us to seek solutions to problems with peaceful engagement rather than violent retaliation. And we're reminded that when Christ was confronted with violence, he responded with grace. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Are we able and are we willing to do the same? And finally, as adopted children of God, we can respond to probably what I would say is, is the biggest problem for us, the biggest elementary principle that's wrestling even in our own hearts as we struggle with our latent sin, this, this idea of indifference. You know, rather than dealing with our problems, it really would be nice to stick our head in the sand, right? I really wanted to do that this week. Let me preach on something else, anything else. But these problems will not go away. Our indifference perpetuates injustice and violence. And frankly, the gospel will not allow us to be indifferent. We have brothers and sisters, African-American brothers and sisters, law enforcement brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, frankly, in the Middle East who are being 
persecuted brothers and sisters in Africa who are starving, brothers and sisters down the road living in tents. The gospel will not allow us to be indifferent to them because we're all crying out to the same God with the same voice, Abba, Father. We're crying out for justice and for peace when the spirit of the Son of God living in our hearts compels us to be a part of the solution. And then finally, and this is it, the last point, our adopted status as children of God makes us heirs to the promises of God. Let's go to this last verse, chapter 4, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. What are we heirs of? If you were to back up, you would see in verse 29, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Friends, you as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are heirs to the promises of God, heirs to the promises to Abraham that that God will bless us to be a blessing to this world, heirs to the promise of David that one day our king will sit on the throne and reigns forever, heirs to the promises of the book of Revelation that sees the king Jesus sitting on the throne and the enemies bowing at his feet and all the nations worshiping him and praising him and all the tears wiped away. All the fear is gone. All the injustice deleted. And all of us praising the Lord Jesus, who is our light and our salvation. That's where we're going. The world has no hope like our hope. The world has no Savior like our Savior. How can we leave that bottled up? How can we not begin to show the world a taste of what that's going to look like right now? Because we are heirs to everything that was given to Jesus. We are heirs as adopted children of God. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace and for adopting us as your children. May we know fully what that means. May we anticipate it with our lives. And in the midst of suffering and tragedy and injustice, Lord, may we remain anchored on the reality that Jesus is king, that he is reigning on the throne, and he will return one day to set up the new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no more tears, no more injustice, no more weeping, but only Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name.